You can turn to Romans 11. It will be in verse 22. For this, I'm not going to... A lot of understanding God, it's not pre-knowledge for us. And we talked about this last week. So it's not knowledge that I'm just asking you to remember something. But it's, it's actually attaining new understanding. Oftentimes when we begin to know about God, because in Romans 1, it talks about for so long we've, we've exalted other things and worshipped them and desired them. That's really what worship is. It's, it's putting all the desire of our hearts towards one thing. And so for so long we've desired something other than God that, that our thinking, in Romans 1 it says, it's become futile. And our, our hearts have been darkened. So that which is lovely, that is which is most lovely, God himself, we don't desire and we've desired other things. And so where we stand here is, is praying and asking, God, will you give it, will you, will you rend the heavens so we can actually begin to develop right understanding of you? Because oftentimes the understanding we begin with God is we have such a, a more developed theology of severity than of goodness. Right? And so we, we've invested so much in understanding that this world is perhaps a more difficult place to live in than we would like it to be. We've invested so much in that that the, our idea of the goodness of God is just stood in judgment to our ideas of that, that I, I don't feel satisfied at all times. So where do we stand in that? Uh, Romans 11, uh, we're just going to start here at the beginning. Notice how God is both good and severe. Um, so goodness, looking at that really quick, goodness is, for God, means uh, that he has all the moral qualities that would, would cause people to call him perfect. Right? So when we, when we speak of perfection, God is that. And he doesn't, like we've learned with his, his attribute of strength, he doesn't have to try to be good. God is good because God is the only one who is, we went through this, God is the only one that is changeless and he created us. And we've changed so much that our definitions have changed of good, ethics, bad, wrong, right? But God isn't changing. And so when we come to him and we say, God, you're good, it means he's just the standard. So there's, there's no debating at this point saying, well, but what about this he did? Well, he's, he's acting in a way that that which falls from him is righteous. And so we're in the place to say, God, why? God, how? I, I, don't, I don't understand right off the bat what's going on. So God does not fall short of the goodness that he himself proclaims. And the Bible is, is incredible in, in what it, it talks about being good. Or love itself, right? It gives probably the most... It does give the most incredible definition of love in Romans 13, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 13. And, uh, and so he doesn't fall short of those things. Why? Because he's offering them from his own nature. He's offering them. Severity. What is severity? It's an old word. Uh, it means to appear stern, hard, or harsh, right? And so we're supposed to consider that. that that what God is doing, and this is beautiful because the Bible is admitting that it appears hard. So the Bible is not presenting it and being like, just take it. But it's saying, look at this. Uh, consider or notice both the goodness and the severity of God. Notice it. Um, 
that word notice is used in the King James Bible uh, no, no less than 1,200 times. So the Bible is constantly saying, look, 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 consider, consider, consider. It's asking you to behold God in the way he acts. And that's, that's really helpful for us. So when we, see, when we say, well, where's your goodness or where's your severity? The Bible is just like, pick it up. Check it out. There's places in here that are going to be hard for you to understand because God will appear just harsh. And so that's, that's definitely presented to us. Um, and I think one of the difficulties as we swing into looking at some of these verses is we, we expect and we've expected for God to be a God of causes, but not of effects. And what I mean by this is, so we expect him to cause things like the universe to launch it into existence because he's the only one powerful enough and capable to do that, but then the effects of that we don't like. Like, when he gives man the ability to love him or hate him, we, we love the ability to love, but we hate the ability to hate. Right? So we expect him to be a God of causes, but not of effects. In our lives. So an example of this is a parent who is giving their child the ability at the age of 16 to drive. They're the cause of that ability for the child. Not only did they give that child life, but keys. Okay, and both those things are needed to drive a car. And so in driving the car, the effects of that could be Tragic. A lot of times they are. Right? Small accidents, big accidents. But this is so we expect God to be the cause of these things. God, you made us. When I consider the heavens and I consider even the way you've made me, I, I admire the way you've made us. You made us to think. You've, you've set man, it says in Psalm 8, a little lower than the angels, right? But you've crowned, I mean, you, you've given him this place of honor, right? That we call. Uh, the image of God, the Imago Dei, right? So you've actually placed in man the, the God-likeness to think and to worship and to be a part of, to have relationships in a very special, intimate way. And so he creates all these things. He creates the ability to have relationships, but in the effect of those relationships, that's hard for us. That's severe for us, right? <laughs> so consider the goodness and severity of relationships, Right, that might give you, begin to give you an understanding of where we go when we're saying consider the goodness and severity of God is consider how good a relationship can be, how you feel like you're not alone because someone just cares about you and they're investing in you and they're loving you. But when something comes in the middle of that relationship, maybe bitterness springs up because they, they chew with their mouth open. And, and all of a sudden, severity, Right? Angelica is going to punch me in the face, right? <laughs> so this is, this is where we stand then in our relationship with God. So consider that it says the kindness of God. So when, when we obey God, consider how well that goes. When we disobey God, consider the effect of that. Right? Galatians says God will not be mocked, but we ask him to be mocked constantly because we only consider the goodness of God, but we never consider the severity of God. Do you guys get that? So we, a- we ask him to just be, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do exactly what you told me not to do, but 
but put up with me, you're good, right? No, no, consider that when God created the world and spun it into existence, and the way, the way he made it to be was when it's in relationship to him, and the things he did good, when, it's, when their people are eating nutritious food and not just eating dirt, right? They're healthy versus being malnourished, right? So when people are living in obedience to him, they're living in health versus when they're living like, well, who cares what God thinks? So consider the goodness and severity of God. Um, I'm going to look at a few verses here which give uh, right alongside each other a view of the goodness and the severity of God. Exodus 34, 5-9. says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud. This is right after the second time He gave the Ten Commandments. Um, and stood there with Him, and He called out His name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling, view the goodness of God here, Yahweh, the Lord, the, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and consider severity, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected even to the third and fourth generation. Moses, get this, Moses threw himself on the ground and worshipped. And he said, O Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. This is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sin. Claim us as your special possession. Right? Good response, Moses. Good response to the goodness and severity of God. Moses saying, I do forgive but I won't let the guilty be unpunished. So what is Moses' response? We're guilty, forgive. Right? So God is opening himself to build relationships. If you abide in guilt and do not seek relationship with God, that guilt remains. Right? View the goodness and severity of God. Yes, God is good. I, I will forgive. I mean, isn't this incredible? Back to back you get this view of unfailing love and unrelenting forgiveness and I won't leave the guilty unpunished. So what does that require? Moses worshiping saying, yes, you can do that. You can do that because you're God. You're fully capable and you're right to do that because you've set a standard that we haven't met. This is the second time the Ten Commandments have been given. Why? Because the first time Moses came down from the mountain and they were in this... this, uh, crazy ritual thing I won't go into is wild and strange. And so Moses threw the Ten Commandments on the ground. They broke. The Ten Commandments broke. Right? That's a lot more severe than, than just taking them off a courthouse. This is God giving Ten Commandments and him throwing them on the ground and they're breaking, right? It's a big deal. So he goes back up. And in light of what the people of Israel do in building a golden calf to another god, is that guilt? Yes, there's guilt. What does Moses do because they are guilty and they've worshipped another god? And God, they've sought a golden calf that can't move to lead them, right? Instead of a god who's led them by cloud and by fire. And so Moses comes up and he says, are we guilty? Yes, we're guilty. God, I'm going to worship you and I beg. God, if... 
I beg, you'll, I beg you'll go with us, that you'll forgive us, because God, I know that you're also forgiving God. You proclaim that too. So if you're guilty, can you go to God for forgiveness? Yeah. He's definitely made a way. Uh, Matthew 10, 28-31. Don't be afraid, those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than the whole flock of sparrows. So the the severity of God feared God rather than man because he can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. The goodness of God, he knows the hairs on your head. That you mean a lot to him. But remember, Exodus, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So, so why is it that we develop this, in, this uh, incredible doctrine of, of, uh, in our, in our own, for ourselves of the goodness of God where we're just saying, God, no matter what I do, that's okay. No matter what I do, I can do anything I want to God, and that is okay, because God's good. And we don't remember, God is severe. And and I'm not pretending like this is easy doctrine when I say that, that God is severe. It's hard, because we don't like it, right? Because we would like to just, to do whatever we want, right? (laughs) To, to, Right to smoke cigarettes and eat junk food and just pretend like we're going to be healthy for the rest of our lives, <laughs> right? In the same way, we do anything we want with our souls and bodies, right? We just don't care because why? Oh, because if God if God was good, then then He'll save me in the end, right? Does that seem a little silly? And it should it should appear silly to us, but the severity of God should also appear very severe to us. Um, So how do we respond to this? Uh, Luke six nineteen through 31. I'll just tell you the story and then the end of it. There's, uh, there's a rich man. This is a parable Jesus is told. That there's a, a rich man and then a man named Lazarus. And, and this is what it looks like. You have uh, Lazarus who's begging outside the rich man's gate day after day after day. And Lazarus is a worshiper of God. The rich man is not... Um, Lazarus is living in a hard life. He says he has, he has sores that the rich man's dogs come and lick. Sorry, 16. Yeah, 16, uh, yeah, 16 19 through 31. Um, and, and so both of them die at the same time. And the rich man goes to, goes to hell, and Lazarus goes to heaven. Uh, it says in the, the bosom of Abraham. Weird way to call it. Um, so, so they're there, and, and the, the rich man, I think this gives us honestly a, a good understanding of hell too. The rich man just says, please, Father Abraham, um, oh, sorry, he starts earlier. Um, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish, right? So still just doesn't get it, right? 
so we, we assume that hell is uh, going to be a torrent because people have finally got it. Right? Uh, here, it's just talking about people are still living at this, this eternal projection into selfishness. Right? So they're still just being like, just thinking of themselves. They, they haven't considered that God is glorious and God is holy and that's why they want heaven. It's just, oh, I just, I just want to be cooled off. Heaven would be just be cooled off for the afternoon. Um, and this is what Abraham says to him. Son, remember that during your lifetime, everyone, every, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Demolishes the idea of purgatory. Um, 27. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send to him um, to my father's home, for I have at least five brothers, and I want, uh, I want him to warn them. Right? So he's, he's like, okay, if I can't help myself, go to my brothers. And this is important. Listen to this. Um, Abraham said, Moses, the prophets have warned them, and your brother can read what they wrote. And the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone is raised from the dead. So what do we do with the goodness and severity of God? Um, and this, this story gives a, a view of both. And this story also helps us understand that I believe it is correct to say that even if by our own qualifying of goodness, if God was good to us in those ways, unremitting, just constantly good to us in the way we decided he would be good to us, still, you'd have just as many people that would choose not to follow him. Right? If God did everything we wanted, and our definition of goodness, right? still, we would, we would stand against him. Because right? God's given the testimony, not only of the law and the prophets, but then, Jesus, who is saying this very story, did die and did rise from the dead. And the testimony is here, right? And there's a lot of other, there's a lot that goes into that, I know. Um, and yet still, still, we don't, we don't believe in him. Because our grief over severity has to move beyond the point of us being hurt by it to us saying, I desire the holiness of God, and I want to participate in His life. God has to be more attractive to us than the view of ourselves that we project. Right? So we project these, we project these views of ourselves like what we want to be and what we want God to be. And then we say, if all these standards are met that we've set, then I believe in God. And so this is... Um, Really quickly, and we'll end after this, I wrote um, a story of incarceration in the wilderness and the story of hope. This is it right here. So, so you guys, a lot of people are much more familiar with being in jail than I am. Right? But you know that you can, <laughs> you, know, you know you can be in jail and come out and not change. Right? 
You guys know you can be in a bad experience and come out of it and not learn anything. Correct? We can talk about this later, Mark. So, the wilderness that the people of Israel went through, we learned this in the wilderness, right? And we talked about this on Wednesday in our community group, that the wilderness for the people could have been an awesome opportunity for them to learn and trust God by hearing the promise of God and just trusting it. Saying, God, you have made your words clear through the law, through the prophets, through the gospel. You've made your word clear. And your, your fingerprints are, are just feeling up the universe, right? And so here we have the, the testimony of God in the wilderness, the promise of God, I will bring you to the promised land. And what do they want? Every day they're like, oh, but you're not going to care for us. Oh, Egypt. Oh, everything else. Right? Because they're constantly just like, me, me, me. And it was never, God, you have promised, I trust you. Right? But, but we're constantly wanting it to be back to me. Right? Be back to me. And the story of hope tells us something very different. It tells us that that though we couldn't work salvation for ourselves, and we've known that, and we do that over and over, and even though we try, we know we can't, the story of hope and the incarceration that we experience within ourselves can be broken by Jesus, who, though we rebelled against him, died in our place and rose from the dead so we can be healed and we can be forgiven. So we can... We can step out of the incarceration of selfishness, the incarceration of our own lives, our own introspection, and we can step into the light of his presence and live there. Right? That is the story of hope. And so that's, that is the goodness of God, and that's the severity of God, the severity of God that he would unleash on Jesus that we could have hope. And I'll tell you how long this hope is. This is an unfailing, eternal hope. And it's very different than the hope that's usually offered. During the last presidential election, right, you have these posters of Obama that's like, hope. <laughs> and we see how long that lasted, right? His pulls have dropped severely, right? But there's just like, hope, right? Because we like the idea of hope. We want another savior, right? <laughs> and here God is saying, I'm offering you hope. And I want you to understand my goodness and my severity, that if you don't take my hope, there is severity. But that isn't what draws us to Jesus. What draws us to Jesus is his goodness and his hope. Right? So severity is God carrying out his word that he's faithful to. Him saying, I've made the universe in such a way I want you to be in relationship with me. If you're not in relationship with me, guys, you're going to be incarcerated to yourselves. But my goodness is I'm making a way through Jesus be free, to live in my light, to look forward to me. So I believe in this way that all, in this hope, all wrongs will be made right for those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. Dostoevsky had another quote, it was amazing, and he says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all crimes of humanity, all the blood, the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. So in this, this coming of our hope in Jesus, 
and then his coming again and the promise that he's laid out for us in heaven. Right? Because, because the severity that we share just is a common humanity, right? Do you guys understand that we're not alone? Even if you say, I will stand with the hope that you are Jesus, you stand with the world under the severity of God because we've fallen. Right? And so a lot's going on in the world. A lot of severity, and we're meant to understand that. But there's a day that will come when he will wash all the tears from the eyes of those who have put their hope in him. And the death will have no sting. And that is the hope we have in Jesus. <laughs> and that's incredible. So we'll end with this uh, from Hosea 11. It says, For my people are de- determined to desert me. They call to the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. Right? Those who call on Him, oh, you're good. Oh, you're good, but it's our own definition of goodness. So they call on Him, but they don't honor Him. It says, oh, how can I give up on Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For some day, the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion, and when I roar, my people will return, trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria, and I will bring them home again. If this is God in, speaking in the book of Hosea. It's beautiful. Right? The Hosea, Hosea is a book, I believe, that really unites the Old and New Testament together, where, where you see God taking Israel like a bride who's constantly unfaithful and just being like, here, I'm going to bring him home. Right? And so that is the hope, that's the goodness of God amidst this understanding of severity, which as we stand together in the world we live in, as you read the news daily, I know you understand the severity of what goes on. So, there is goodness and there is severity in God and there is hope in Him for those who seek, uh, seek Him and find Him, uh, seek Him for forgiveness, to worship like Moses and just say, God, You are worthy. So pray with me and we'll sing some more. God, You are good and mercies endure forever. God, we are... Um, we're made by you and I, I pray God that, that just as you formed uh, the first heart in Adam and Eve God that you would, you would continue that work of forming our hearts to love you because we need your help even for that God that those who today that haven't sought forgiveness from you or in you they would and those this might just be a time of Noticing, like it says in Romans 11.22, or remembering or beholding that you're God and you're good and you're severe and we should take that very seriously. Oh God, we just, we just lift these things to you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.